team with last week's message. It's 11:20. I think we're, our time has worked out well. Um, we, I really have a, an expectation for the opportunity to be able to pray with you at the end of the service. I've prayed with some, but you know it was a very exciting moment in worship a moment ago, and I just felt in my heart that if I could just. You know, the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And sometimes you just need to hold it back. And just for that moment, that perhaps the, may, maybe this would be good, but maybe in a few minutes would be better. And that's what I'm hoping uh, to see. Despite the fact that sometimes people, uh, as we draw close and to the noon hour, and I'm a pastor who's been pastoring for 20 years now, and, and, and I've learned to pattern people, habitual patterns, and I know that the closer you get to the noon hour, the more difficult it is, but thanks to Young at Heart, they've already prepared your meal for you today, right? So you might as well plan to just stay and be with us and just let us just go together into just the presence of God in a deeper way, in a different means today. So this was a passage of Scripture that I shared from last week. It's found in 2 Corinthians. It created the context for us. And I'd like to expound upon it a little bit more, especially initially a little bit more instructionally, and then perhaps a little bit later, uh, just a little bit more, uh, if I can use the term evangelic evangelistically and just to, uh, towards the end. But for the to honor the, our adopted practice as a fellowship, can you stand up this morning and honor the reading of Scripture, though there will be other verses that we will collectively read together today. This is capturing our context. And I had actually backed up last week to the 20th and the 21st verse of the second, uh, uh, second Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But my emphasis was, or I actually I backed up to the 20th and also included the 22nd. But my emphasis was taken directly from the 21st verse. And some of you may even remember the angle that I took in ministering this word last week. But let's read it again together today. It says, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. Now, it's from this vein of thought that I want to, in a moment of time, pick back up. We talked about the being anointed of God last week, and I'll echo some of those things in just a few moments. But there's a, a phrase that seemed to emerge a little bit in the prayer time, and I believe in the prophetical voice of God, that he speaks to us, an on-time word through a prophetical word. And as we were praying for people uh, down at the front, it seemed like, that the Holy Spirit was drawing attention to that King James English that established us. He said, God has established us. And so I want to establish this principle for you today. It's not enough to just be anointed. You need to be established in the faith, okay? It's not one without the other, but it should be both. And perhaps both are equally as important. And perhaps both will inevitably fail to a degree if we don't have both parts of the equation. Let me give you a brief example. I did close for just a moment last Sunday in the message by alluding to Samson as my attention shifted to the breaking of the yoke. Some of you may remember that particular emphasis extracted from Isaiah chapter number 10. Shared with you what I really believe that that meant and I think it helped open your eyes to that particular spiritual truth. 
Now, I alluded briefly to Samson and when he was placed between the pillars in the house of Dagon and in one final release of that anointing upon his life, how his hair had begun to grow and he pulled the temple down. Y'all remember that? You've read it in the book of Judges. It's an inspiring story of the power of God. And that wasn't the first exploit that Samson had done. Right? The, the passages of those, those, those passages record great exploits of God's Holy Spirit upon his life. How many of you know the anointing can come upon you to do things that you cannot do in and of yourself? In, your natural, in Samson's natural strength, he couldn't, he couldn't tear a gate off the hinge that the size that he did and carry it up and set it on a hill. He couldn't break ropes off of his arms like it was just flax. He couldn't take a, a, the jawbone of a donkey and slay a thousand uh, of the opposition in one moment. He couldn't do that without the anointing of God upon his life. So Samson knew how to function under the anointing of God. But Samson also could not keep his head out of Delilah's lap. And so it's one thing to have an anointing, it's another thing to be established in certain principles, come on, that causes you to walk in righteousness, come on, in the way that God's designed us for. And so this passage of Scripture says that God has not only anointed us, God has anointed us, but we're praying that God establishes us. Father in heaven, thank you for this great word today. The attention of the people is already captured. They're with me. I'm not a man on an island today, Father, but I'm surrounded by people that are already identifying with where we're going through this vein of thought. And I pray that you would add your agreement. If it, if it, if it falls to me and my ability, it is destined for failure. But if that invisible power of the Holy Spirit, God, does rest upon us, today. And if you give me the tongue of the learned father today, then God, I will have a word in season for he that is weary, God. And I pray that you will also awaken their ear that they may hear this very word today. In Jesus' name and all of God's children said, Amen and Amen. Without taking the adventure of going back and attempting to resurface all the depth of last week's message because it was an on-time word for an on-time season and I, I, I don't want to attempt to go back and do that because I've learned that you can't capture those moments. Those moments were for then and I cannot capture them now and so I understand that. But I do want to draw from and I want to gain strength. I want them to be a momentum booster for us today to move us into the text and let us unveil it and open it with greater clarification. And so with an emphasis that I believe that the Apostle Paul, as he was writing this passage of Scripture, when he used the word that would be translated anointed, that was a commonly understood word in Jewish culture, that in his mind, he's thinking back to the very first time that Moses took the horn of oil that oil that contained the, the compound ointments of the anointing oil as recorded in the book of Exodus. And he anointed first Aaron the priest, Aaron's sons to be the priesthood following him, and subsequently all the instruments of the 
tabernacle, including the tabernacle itself. In doing so, he consecrated those instruments and set them apart for the purpose of God. And then that term anointed is traced in different passages throughout the Old Testament, and you and I gleaned through some of those, and we followed. So I believe as Paul was writing and saying, God hath anointed us in his mind, he's going back to that initial anointing. He's following the anointing of David. He's following the anointing of the prophets. He's following the anointing certainly of Jesus, who is the anointed one, correct? and his anointing, because that anointing has now been divided. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. He was divided and set upon each one of them. And now, first there's division, then there's multiplication. First he divided the work of the Spirit, but now he's multiplying the work because it's not just one person is anointed. He said God has anointed us. Come on, are y'all with me? It's not just, I, I, I believe that God has anointed me as a pastor. I do believe that. I believe it's discernible and it's distinguishable. But I'm not the only one in this room with any anointing. Come on, somebody. And when my anointing helps agitate your anointing, then I'll tell you what, there's a sweet fragrance of Christ that's in this room, and that's what we're in pursuit of every time. And so that's what I believe Paul is saying. He says, and God has anointed us. But here he uses the word establisheth. We don't use that word quite commonly in the... English in our English today. But I want to ask you to journey with me and let's do something together if we can. It's a principle that was uh, that, that pastors oftentimes evolve that we use in our study for either our own personal good for or in the preparation of a sermon. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time establishing something today. And I don't mean to play that pun on words, but establishing a certain principle about being established. One of the things that we do and we learn, Jojo, Shane, and myself learn when we were in Israel that the practice that we use in word study is the same practice that Jewish rabbis have used for hundreds and even thousands of years. We had an opportunity to go to an institute of uh, studies between relationships of Jewish uh, believers and Christian believers in Israel. And for that few moments that we sat there, a trained rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi, taught us how that he studied the scriptures. And the way that he studies the scriptures is, number one, if he's not trained in Hebrew, the Old Testament, then he will go to the old, he will go to the Hebrew. He always looks the word up in the original language, number one, because that's very important. To put it in the cultural context of the way it was used in its original language. If you're trying to unlock the mystery of a passage. And so then secondly, one of the things that you do, then you take that particular word and you find it in other passages and see how it's used in those passages because, again, that's broadening us. It's, if it's used consistently, it's letting you see the picture. It's, it's beginning to unfold in front of your eyes. And then oftentimes, again, you look at words that might be synonymous, words that mean the same. What are they saying? See if it can reaffirm. So let me take you on just a little bit of a journey today because there's some commonly used words in the New Testament that's akin to establisheth. And there is established. Let me go here so I don't omit any of them today. They're established, they're established, there's established, and there's rooted, settled, and grounded. Okay. Now these words are, some of them, they're actually, it, it, there were eight words in Scripture, established, established, Establisheth, established, established, rooted, settled, and grounded. Those are eight words in Scripture, 
but they're actually six words in the Greek because establish and establish are the same in Greek as well as established and establisheth with the E-T-H on the end. So let me take a moment of time to build a thought for you. And taking those six Greek words and taking them to the original root meaning, it will, it will, it will, it will cause us to amplify, using the words from the Amplified Bible, it will amplify the meaning for us. The word establish means to set fast, or I love this, and it's actually translated this in the Amplified Bible to uh, to be set uh, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. So if you were to read that passage in the Amplified Bible, you would read where it, would, it says actually that, to turn something resolutely in a certain direction. The word established means to stabilitate for something that was not stable to become more stabilized. To establish means to solidify and to confirm. And I love the other words that I chose that were used in a couple passages that I'm going to read to you very quickly today is rooted. For the word rooted in the Greek means to root or to become stable. And that brings it to its kinship with establisheth. To be settled is sedentary and it's immovable and it's steadfast. And that's just kind of making us a, a greater awareness of what God wants from us in our faith. And lastly, the word grounded means to lay a basis for something that you put down or to have a foundation. In essence, then, if I can try to uh, attempt to a certain degree to connect it just briefly to the passage there in 2 Corinthians 1 where the apostle uses the word establish as we connect it, as I said previously, to be anointed is one thing, to have an anointing on your life, to function under the power of the Holy Spirit, to welcome and to yearn for the gifts and the callings of God, to be able to know when he's moving you is one thing. That's a powerful thing and we should all strive for that and yearn to be used of God. But it is another thing that we need to join with that anointing is to be established in our faith, to be set resolutely in a certain direction, to be a fixed, to be stabilitated, to not be up one day, down the next, to not be hot one day and cold the next, to not be on fire for God one day and next, to be wayward out in the world, uh, being uh, uh, deceived by our adversary, to be resolutely fixed, to become a pillar in the house of God. Uh, the old psalmist wrote it this way. He said, I'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water of life. I'll bear my fruit in season. I'll not give in to the whims and the waves of the cultural onslaught of immorality that you and I are seeing in our generation today. But we know in whom we have believed. We have already chosen that we are set, we have, this path is, is set for us and we're not going to allow the deception of our enemy to distract us from being the person God wants us to be. We're set resolutely. Come on in a certain direction. So God is saying through the apostle that he desires not only to anoint you but to establish you. Let's look at these briefly in a couple of passages of Scripture. I'm going to read them quickly. Let it build the portrait for just a moment because I want you to see this with me. I think it will help you as we unlock a couple of mysteries here in just a few moments. Acts 16 and 5 says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Rome, matter of fact, let me tell you just real quickly. I, I, I shared with these that were coming into this church this morning. I said, I'm promising you this. I'm promising you, you are not coming into a church that's divisive, that's filled with sedition and conflict. But you're being welcomed into a church that is walking in unity, 
and harmony. Why? Because we're established as a fellowship. Because that, that see, uh, dissension of that nature that you find a lot of churches are in, how many know that's a work of the adversary? And I want to be guilty of giving him no place in this fellowship. Romans 1 11, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established. Hebrews 13 and 9, I love this one. Don't be carried about with divers or many and strange doctrines. That's a good thing in our culture that we live in today. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Thank God for the grace of God. 2 Peter 1 and 12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though you know them, he said, I'm going to tell you these things, even though you already know. How many of you as parents ever tell your children things that you already know they know? But you as a parent know they need to hear them again because you want them to get established in those particular truths. And that's what the Apostle Peter is saying. I already know that you know that because that's the tendency of the response of my children as they're young adults. I know, I know, I know, I know that you know. But I want you to really know that you know. As your pastor, I know that you know. But I want you to know that you know and be established in these present truths. To establish, let's look at it here, Romans 16 and 25. The apostle says, now to him, that's God, that has the power to establish you according to the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2 says, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That's the will of God for your life, to be established in every good word and work. Now look at 1 Peter 5. I love this because this passage here in this particular passage is, is, is following in the 10th verse. It's following that passage about be sober, 8th verse, be vigilant for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, uh, you know, seeking whom he may devour, whom you're to resist steadfast in the faith. And then he said here, but the God of all grace, after he hath who has called us, called you unto his eternal glory, that you may suffer some things for a while. You may face tribulation for a while, but that tribulation is working. Paul said in Romans 5, that tribulation is working an experience in you that will cause you to not be ashamed. And here the Apostle Peter said, while you're going through those things, God is perfecting some things inside of you. How many of you have ever experienced that? Say, I was going through some things. I didn't know why I was going through them, but hindsight taught me that God was working in me while I was going through those things. And here the passage of Scripture says that, that while you suffer for a while, God's going to perfect you and you're going to be putting root downward and you're going to be established in the faith and He's going to strengthen you and you're going to be settled. See, right now if you're going through hell on this on this earth and what I mean by that is crises are mounting around you it's easy to become erratic but if you will just calm yourself in the presence of God and know that this season is just that it's a season it will surely pass and you will emerge out of this season settled and rooted and grounded in your faith and you'll be able to come on somebody give God the glory for what you've been through you're established. You're established. Colossians 2 says you're rooted and built up in him. I love that. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. 
rooted and grounded. Ephesians 3 and 17, one of my personal favorite usages of this particular synonymous phrase. It's not exactly, but the meanings are akin to each other enough that it warranted us putting them together. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Colossians again then captures it one final time. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So here the Apostle Paul is saying to us, and he's saying to congregations as a whole and individuals within the congregations, that it is the divine will of God for you to have an anointing upon your life, to be able to function under that anointing, to be able to recognize that that anointing is from God and be able to say with me and with them that God has anointed us that I have an anointing, it's a tangible presence of God upon my life. I respect it, I value it, and I want to make sure that I, that I care for it. God's gifted me with it, and I want, to, I want to thank Him for it. But in like manner, with the same measure of my faith, that I appreciate the fact that God has anointed my life, then also God's desire is to mature me in my faith that I can grow up into him in all things, that I can become established in the faith, stabilitated, solidified, immovable, turned resolutely in a certain direction. I've set my course. I forget the things that are behind me, and I'm pressing onward towards the mark of the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter about the crumbling governments around us or the uncertainty of the age that we see in our, in our generation. We need know, we know God is in control. We're established in our faith. Hallelujah. So let me give you an example today before I make it very personal to you today. If we're able to quickly glean, and we won't read the entirety of this passage, but there's a couple passages I want to just turn to quickly before I bring this home and make this very personal to you as an individual. In the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, those of you that have been journeying with us on our study throughout the New Testament, we can, you remember in your studies, when Paul was on his second missionary journey, he had gone to Thessalonica. It's in chapters 1 through 10, or chapters chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. I probably won't read it. I'm just going to reference it a couple of times. Now, initially, as the Apostle Paul, and this would be a nation of Asia, excuse me, a city of Asia Minor, and, and in that particular area, he had had some initial success. He was not there very long, the Apostle and his uh, ministry team. He, he, uh, the Apostle Paul's pattern was to go to the synagogue first, be welcomed by his Jewish brothers. Typically, after the reading of Scripture, they would ask them, being newcomers, if they had anything to say and Paul would seize the opportunity to talk to people that already knew the Old Testament scriptures about the fact that Jesus the one they were longing to see come the Messiah had already come and that he had fulfilled the prophecies that were written of him in both the law and the prophets and that he's ascended into the right hand of God. That's the typical pattern. How many have discovered that as you're reading through the book of Acts? Paul would go to the synagogue, thus was no different. And the Bible says that based upon those first two or three weeks of ministry there, that a great number first of Greeks believed. A great number. So uh, there was a great number of them that responded because there were a lot of proselytes in Judaism. Judaism allowed for Greeks 
Greeks or Gentiles to come in only to a certain degree, but they could come in and worship the one true God. And the Greeks heard about it and they believed. They believed the things that were, uh, were preached by the Apostle Paul. And then ultimately, even not, the Bible says, uh, some of the chief women, not a few. It means there was a lot of the chief women of the synagogue, both Jews and probably uh, Gentiles alike, that they believed as well. And so I'm telling you, it was a great moment. Thus, that was the founding of the church at Thessalonica. But about the third week or so, the Bible says, but the Jews that believe not, the unbelieving Jews and certain lewd fellows of the baser sort probably were paid by the Jews to come and to bring accusation against Paul and his ministry team until it stirred the whole city up into almost a riot. And ultimately, they converged upon the house of Jason, one that had been converted, and they took him into the open-air marketplace to, with uh, the, the intention to either beat him or to potentially kill him as he represented the church in that moment. Now, ultimately, he had to pay his way out of it. And when that happened, the established, newly established church would not let Paul and his uh, missionaries stay any longer, and they quietly forced them to leave, lest Paul and his missionaries suffer the violence at the hand of the Jews. Y'all remember that passage of Scripture? It's in Acts chapter number 17. But what, what I want you to see here in just a moment of time, so their ministry there, though it, it, was, uh, though it was contentious, it was effective because a lot of people believed. I mean, you know, that's the goal of the evangelization of the gospel is that many will believe. And so Paul, though, as an apostolic father, is later reflecting upon his time in Thessalonica and he writes an epistle to them to find out what's going on. And I'd like to go to 1 Thessalonians 3 just very carefully because I want you to see what's going on in the heart of the apostle for a moment. He's concerned because his time there was so short. He typically would like to leave bishops and elders. He would, if you understand the apostolic pattern of the New Testament, they would pray with fasting the new church. They would choose out leaders. They would lay hands on them. They would impart spiritual gifts unto them. And then they would know in their absence there would be leaders that would encourage them and build them up. But because they were taken out so suddenly, they didn't have the time to see that established in the local church that Paul is wondering about their faith. And so in chapter 3, he even questions, and he says this in the first verse, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, when we could no longer bear it, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. So Paul is at Athens, and he is sending, he said, and I'm sending Timotheus, who is this young associate in the ministry. He's our brother, and he's a minister of God. He's a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to, to do what? He said, here's my purpose for sending him to you. To do what? Look at it with me. To establish you and to comfort you concerning the faith that you won't be moved by these afflictions. Don't be moved by what happened to you or happened to us but that you know that we are appointed unto these things. Paul is saying, I was told from the very first day I signed up to be an apostolic missionary. I was told by the Holy Ghost that there would be much afflictions that would awake me. And so I am prepared to face these. And you need to know, Paul is saying, you need to know that I'm not giving up on God just because I faced a little bit of affliction and persecution. And he said, I wanted to know, look at this, I sent, verse 5, I sent to know your faith 
lest by some means the tempter hath tempted you and our labor be in vain. So here's what the Apostle Paul is contemplating. He's saying, man, God, we didn't have time to really establish even any leaders in the local church to help to strengthen the faith of those that have made their profession of faith in Christ. And he said, I, I, don't, I don't have the means of modern communication. Paul is saying, I'm going to send to you my young associate in the ministry and I hope he's going to be able to encourage you and establish you. And he said, because I'm just afraid that in your persecution, when persecution comes and when adversity comes and tribulation comes, that you have succumbed to that temptation and you have backslidden, if I can use that term for lack of a better cliche. You have wandered or drifted from the faith. He said that the tempter has tempted you and our work be in vain. Does that make sense today? So Paul's saying, but then when he found when Timothy came back, he said, oh, we were greatly encouraged. He said, we were greatly encouraged because we found out that you didn't give up, but you just pressed on. Come on. That you continue to trust in the Lord. Matter of fact, he had commended them in the first chapter by saying, when you receive the ministry of the word of God, you received it exactly for what it is. It is the word of God. And it effectually works in those who will believe. And so Paul is saying now, he said, I'm encouraged by what I've heard from Timothy because you didn't give up, you didn't give in. But he said, but you continue to believe. And he said, and now our desire is just to perfect that which is lacking in your faith and thereby help you. He says it and repeats the word again, I believe in the uh, 13th verse. He said, to the end, he said, to the end that you may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So here's the heart of an apostolic father that's writing to a church that he founded that resulted in persecution and contention and a whole city being divided and he's rushed out and he does not fulfill his ministry course that it's the time frame that he wanted to give to the people of Thessalonica. He's concerned in his absence that the tempter has tempted them and their work is in vain and so Paul is relieved to find them still believing and so now he's saying my prayer for you is to not only comfort your heart but to see you established in the faith. Does that make sense here today at all? Because as you and I as believers in our culture today, uh, it, the thing that I notice in the immaturity of a person's faith, I notice as a pastor that many people in the church are so shallow in their faith that you're one increased season of persecution away from turning away. You're here because a measure of things around you are good. But when that persecution mounts, then we begin to teeter. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? My desire as a pastor is not only for you to share an anointing that God has for us as believers, but also, also that you can be established in what you believe. Amen. How many believe with the spirit of Antichrist at work in our culture today, it's important more than ever to be firmly rooted and grounded in a belief system. And this is not just for the young, the young adults among us, but for the aged believer as well. Right to be discerning the times in which we live. So I want to give you today three things, just nuggets to drop down in your heart. Say, well, Pastor, that's good. You're saying I need to be established. Then what are the things that, are, uh, that, that can help me become established? I'm going to close with these three things. I'm going to drop them in your heart. I believe they're very important. First and foremost, I'm going to just bring this to you. It may be surprising to you, but I believe this is very important. And that is, I believe that it is an apostolic fivefold ministry. First and foremost, let me come down and talk to you for just a moment. Apostolic, some of you don't understand what I mean by that is fivefold ministry. That phrase is found in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 11th verse. 
before he ascended up on high, he gave gifts to men. The Bible says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what I mean by apostolic ministry is, is that God has chosen to place men and women in particular offices that he has set apart for the work of the ministry. He's put an anointing upon their life. They're not just in a career. This is not a career to me. I would do this without pay. I like getting paid better. Hello, Shatakaya Masia. Don't forget, Pastor, appreciate. No, just go on right there. I like that, but, but, but Jeremiah said, Woe is unto me. He said, I sought to forbear, I sought to not preach, but his word was in my bones like fire shut up, and I could not forbear. Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. How can you tell and distinguish somebody between just a career-minded clergyman and a man or woman of God? I'll tell you what it is. It is a distinct call and anointing upon their life. It's tangible. It has the fragrance of Christ. There are giftings and callings that God has placed in their life to help build the body of Christ. And we as a church, the reason why, let me tell you, the reason why your adversary fights to keep you away from the fellowship, to keep you out of church, is because he knows if he can just keep you as a casual Christian who just casually attends church and you never get under the anointing, you never have hands laid on you, you never have an impartation of the Holy Ghost, you never have spiritual gifts dynamically released through a man or woman of God prophesying them into your spirit, that he will keep you weak and anemic and you'll never reach your full ability in the kingdom of God. But he also knows if you align yourself up under the anointing uh, and the anointing flows from the head downward uh, and if there's a man or a woman of God over you that's got an anointing on their life, you can rest assured whatever is on me is going to get on you. Glory to God. And the joy I have, the joy you can get, the desire I have, the desire you can have, the anointing that works in me will work in you also. Hallelujah. We can be radical for the glory of God. We're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I say that today. We are zealots. We are, yes, the original Jesus freaks. We are sold out to the kingdom of God. We are set resolutely in a certain direction, and we have made up our mind. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. We are in him and complete in him, and you need to be connected. I'm not talking about just sitting casually here in a sermon. I'm talking about connected to fivefold ministry. Well, that's a good word right there. To a lost phrase, lost to this fellowship until 40 days of the maker's die for a skinny preacher like me. It's taking you a while to catch that one. That phrase is coming back. Thank God. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm applauding. I know they're not. But I've been wanting to say that for a long time. And I haven't been able to. But now I can say it. Number two. Number two. It's very important that you catch this. Number two. It's the word. It's the word. Romans 10. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh. You've got to get in it. It's got to get in you. Right? Hearing by the word means what you're doing right now. But see, here's oddly enough, some hear me preach but aren't hearing the word. See, because if you don't set your heart to hear the word, Jesus said that the enemy will come immediately and steal the word that's in your heart. 
But that's why you got to value this moment. It's why we talked about in the opening. It's a created opportunity for you to worship and hear the word. Your mind and your heart even is deceitful above all things. And you have, to, you have to train yourself to not allow the adversary or your carnal mind to rob you of this moment where that word is being sown into you. So you're hearing the word, but you're also reading the word. And you're studying the word. Did you know what led the church? I've been doing a study, a personal study. I'm going to share more about uh, on Wednesday nights in the days ahead. But what led the church into what was called the Dark Ages in around the 500 uh, A.D. That, uh, for about 1,200 years, the church uh, endured the greatest time of spiritual darkness in its history is because the Roman papacy took away the common person's accessibility to the Word of God. And for 1,200 years, the common person could not have a copy of the Scriptures that they could sit at home by the firelight at night and read to their children and their children's children. And it drew the church into the dark ages. But now here we are, a generation where every man, woman, boy, and girl has got their own personal copy of the Word of God. we got to read it, study it, meditate upon it, glean it, walk in it, talk it, think about it, sing about it. Come on, somebody. In this Word is life. In this Word is the light of men. This word is the, is, is the hope of my countenance, and so it is for yours as well. Jesus said, if my words abide in you, Paul said, study to show yourself approved unto God. Colossians 3 and 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and in teaching and admonishing one another, even in your psalms, your hymns, and your spiritual songs. So when you have a tune in your heart, make sure that tune's got the word of God in it. Come on, somebody, make sure that tune's got that word of God in it. Listen, don't allow your heart to meditate and to think about those uh, sad songs, country music songs, rock and roll songs. And I know we've got those things in us from our childhood, but we'll arrive at the place when those thoughts get on your mind, pull them down. Get a song in your heart that says, Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shout unto God with a voice of praise. God is great and greatly to be praised. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. All the psalms and the hymns that we sing, let them be on the tablet of your your heart because you are in the word and that word is come on it is come on it is establishing you in the faith as a newborn babe desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge let's make up our minds as a church let's make it up as a fellowship that we will not be ignorant of the knowledge of God Come on, in a culture where people are falling prey, come on, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils because of their ignorance of the Word of God. Let's make up our minds as a fellowship that we will not be that people group. Lastly, and I'm going to ask Daryl to join me on the platform. He said, continue in what you have learned and what you've been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. You've learned that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. And these scriptures are given by inspiration of God and they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that you as a man or a woman of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You get the word in you and you're going to get established. Hmm? You get the word in you, you're going to not only be an anointed believer, but you're going to be established in the faith established in the faith. And lastly today, as a pastor, I felt it very important that I didn't leave this sermon 
just in its uh, in, uh, you know, incomplete state. It was only half. If you're just anointed, you're not all God wants you to be. If you're established and not anointed, you're not all God wants you to be. Are y'all hearing me today? It's the whole. It's not just the half, it's the whole. God wants you established and anointed. That's a good word right there. I'm telling you, that's the kind of churches God can use. People that are established in what they believe, and yet at the same time they have an anointing to minister, and they're not just ministering in the flesh, but they're ministering under the gifts of God. So I've shared with you two things that I believe are very important to you becoming established in the faith. Number one is coming underneath pastoral leadership, apostolic leadership. I believe in it. I think it's very important. You know, I'm over people, but I'm also under people. I believe in that unique uh, connection of men and women in the body of Christ connected together. Number two, I believe in the Word today and in you getting the Word inside of you. Hello? You getting the Word inside of you. You have to give all diligence. It don't just happen, does it? I love the way that Peter writes it. He says, giving all diligence. You have to be diligent in this matter. If you're not, life will take you away from the Word of God. Right? It will just move you so busily in the earth that you never find time. Number three today, perhaps just as important, is something that I want to talk to you about in closing that I think is really, really, really critical. I think it's very important for you today. And I call it this, closet prayer. Closet prayer. Now, closet prayer is unique in the, the varied face of prayer. There are many different types of praying. Are y'all familiar with this? And I don't want to go into all the different types. Paul said, let there be intercessions, prayers, giving of thanks. Just there's different types of prayers, different types of praying. As a pastor, I've observed that many in the church never develop in prayer beyond two types of prayer. One is what I call crisis-centered prayer where your prayer always evolves around a crisis. Are y'all with me today? Come on, this is the closing point. There are no four. There's not four, excuse me. There's just three. This is it right here. So listen real quickly today. You know what crisis-centered prayer? You know, and, but the problem with that crisis-centered prayer is if not careful, then all you, your eye is affixed upon the crisis. Everything is crisis-oriented. And you know what? Sometimes, as the apostle Peter said, that, that, that you'll suffer for a while. Sometimes that crisis is not going away immediately in the near future. Come on, work with me. If you've ever been with somebody that's been dying from a disease for a long period of time and you've had to, it didn't just go away, that situation didn't just slip away uh, quickly. It was a difficult time. So you can't, everything can't be crisis centered. Number two, everything can't be just intercession. Now, what is intercession? Intercession actually means to stand betwixt two, that's what it means. So intercession is when God moves on your heart to pray for somebody. Daryl's mother's in the hospital or been in the... I'm sure there are times that you intercede, isn't it, Daryl? You're thinking about her, so you're praying for her. How many of you have ever interceded for somebody? A burden, a burden. I had a conversation this week with someone feeling very burdened about the crisis in the Middle East and ISIS, and it's the spirit of intercession that comes on us. It's a heavy spirit. And I don't mean that way in a bad way. If you've ever felt somebody's need deep enough to be moved by it, it's heavy. Are y'all with me today? That's a part of praying, but see, that's not all of praying. Closet prayer is different. Closet prayer is daily prayer. That's not as much about crisis situations in your life. It's not about interceding for other people. 
It's about submitting to the will of God. It's about becoming conformable to His image. It's about dying to yourself and living to God. It's where you put root downward and you bear fruit upward. It's where you come and you present yourself a living sacrifice to God. It's where you've developed in your faith to the degree that you're saying, God, today is the day that you've made. God, I'm not going to think about tomorrow. Jesus told me not to. I'm not going to get stuck looking in the pain of the past. But God, today is the day you've given me, and I want to believe, God, that your will is going to be done in this day that's in front of me. It's about praying that God will work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Many of us just want God to work through us. But let me tell you, before God can effectively work through you, he wants to work in you. Are y'all hearing me today? This is very important. This is about the maturation of your faith. This is about you becoming established in the faith. So as a pastor, let me tell you, even though I have the spirit of intercession that comes upon me and I pray and I intercede for my church family, especially when God quickens things in my heart, I'm just like you in the sense I feel that burden and I pray. I'm just like you when I have a crisis, I pray. Right? We should. Right? Go, let's go to God. Let's call upon the name of the Lord. Let's trust in Him. Crisis. I'm not taking away from that. But I'm telling you, I'm sharing my heart with you today. The majority of my prayer is closet prayer. It's closet prayer. Jesus said, he said, now when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites are, which think that through their much saying and, and being seen, he said that, they are, that, that they're being seen as something. He said, but when you pray, enter into thy closet. Now, to the Hebrew, and I've taught this in days gone by, to the Hebrew, most Hebrew men had a prayer shawl. Prayer shawl, hopefully heavily worn from the sweat of the back of your neck, just like this one. And they would wear that in everyday life, and so they understood what Jesus said. For they said, when you pray, if you're in, even in a public setting, he said that you can put this over your head, and that becomes your closet. It becomes private prayer. Now, for us, it means that we find a place that's solitary. I believe in finding, I believe in corporate prayer. We're going to pray in a few moments, corporate prayer. We're going to pray for people, and I believe in that. But I'm telling you that if you're ever going to become established in the faith, it's got to be more than just a corporate time of prayer once a week for about seven minutes. Come on, you're going to have to learn how to die to yourself in prayer in the presence of God and begin to pray about the will of God and the word of God and the work of God, humbling yourself, asking God to work in your life, praying those promises over and over in your heart and spirit, lifting up praise and adoration, worshiping the Lord. The worship is not just on a song, tied to a song, but it's a submission, a submission to the will of God. Let me give you one of the greatest patterns for prayer in the same context that Jesus himself shared this. He said, and so when you pray, enter into your closet. And he said, and when you pray, Luke captures it this way. He said, say. So I've exhorted you on many occasions, and I'm going to do so again today. When you pray, say. Pray audibly if you're able to. If you're in an environment that is private and solitary, then lift up your voice because God uses the creative means of the spoken word. Because I want God, I know God sees my heart, but I want my, I want my solitary place to be filled with the, the authority of those words. I do. And so I'll say them. He said, after this manner pray ye. Matthew's gospel records it that way. After this manner pray ye. He said, and when you pray, say. Luke records. Our Father who art in heaven. So pastor, I don't know how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Father who art in heaven. Our Father. You're not just God. You're not just Elohim. You're not just Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You're God, Father God. 
Thank you that I can know you as Father God. Thank you that you've sent your spirit into my heart crying, Father, Father. Thank you that I'm a son and a daughter of God today. Thank you today, Father, for this kinship. My Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We sang it a moment ago. My spirit leaped inside of me. Holy is the name of God. The compound name of Jehovah God in the Old Testament has been narrowly squeezed into one name received by inheritance. The name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name that demons run away from, the name that sickness flees from, the name that is heard echoing across the corridors of heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, Yeshua, the name above all names. Hallowed be thy name. Father, thank you for giving your son that name and leaving me the ability to pray in that name. Thy kingdom come, O God. God, let your kingdom come in this earth. Father, thy will be done in this earth. Not just in earth, in this earth. We were taken from the dirt. We were taken from the earth. God, thy will be done. Where? In this earth. Are y'all with me so far? Come on, God, let your will be done in my life today. Not my will, Jesus taught me to pray in the garden called Gethsemane. But thy will be done, O God. Father, not my will, but thy will be done on the earth, in the earth, as it is in heaven, God. If your perfect will is accomplished in the realm of the heavenlies, then let it be accomplished here on the earth as well. God, give me this day my daily bread. Thank you, Father, for every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights. Thank you that there's no lack in you. Thank you that you've made me the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. God, I was rich and he said, I was young and now I'm old. He said, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor God's seed begging bread. God, it's not your will that I be in lack. It's your will that all my needs be met through Christ Jesus glory to God. Thank you. Give me this day my daily bread. And God, today I pray that you forgive me. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of those evil thoughts. Those carnal thoughts. Forgive me an attitude. Forgive me when I hurt my brother or sister. Forgive me God when I, when I, when I wasn't zealous for you. God, forgive me of my sins today. And God, as I'm forgiven, I also forgive any that's hurt me. That person, my person on the job, the employer, the person that, that said that thing to me, my spouse, my children. God, today it's not your will. Father, today in this closet today, you know I'm wrestling, oh God. You know I'm wrestling with unforgiveness and bitterness. So today I articulate it to you in my prayer, God. I forgive them and you name them in the name of Jesus. And not only, God, do I forgive them, but I bless them in Jesus' name. Father, they didn't know what they were doing. God, I pray, God, that you would work in their lives. Reveal your great grace to them, God. Help me to be an example, a living epistle to you, to them today, God. Work in me, God, for I forgive them as you have forgiven me. Are y'all with me today? And lead me not, my Father, into temptation. I mean, you know, that's a powerful prayer right there. In a wicked culture in which we live in today, God, give me discretion. Lead me not into temptation. Let me be acutely aware of the enemy around me. Come on, let me be. The Bible says be sober and be vigilant. Are y'all with me? Be sober. He masquerades. He's deceptive. He's a deceiver. He lays a plot, a scheme for your life. So God is saying to you now, God, don't let me be fall into his temptation, but Father, you deliver me from evil. One translation said, God, deliver me from the evil one. God, I want to thank you that you have bruised Satan under, the, under my feet, as the Scripture says. I want to thank you I have power and authority over the enemy, and I don't have to give him any place in my life. And Father, for thine 
O God, is the kingdom. For thine, O God, is the power. And God, thine is the glory. For thine, O God, is the glory. Forever and ever, O God. Amen and amen. And if you will begin to bring that practice into your closet prayer, I'm here to tell you, you'll begin to be stabilitated in your faith. Come on. The winds of doctrine can blow erroneously around you, but it will not move you because you are set steadfastly immovable in the faith. Temptation can be around you, but you won't give in to it. Isn't that right? You won't give in to it because you're strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside you. You're stabilitated in your faith, established, established in the faith. Today, church family, it's very important that we grow and mature in the hour in which we live. As a pastor, I don't want to be found guilty of raising up shallow, insincere, insecure church that doesn't have any measure of stability and individuals who are always hot and cold, up and down. As long as everything is good, they're good. But when everything goes bad, they go sour. That's not the will of God, is it? That's not the will of God. You want the anointing? Get established in the faith. Get established in the faith, and then God can anoint you. And your stability can work in a harmony with your anointing, and God can use you in a powerful way. Today, church family, our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. I'm sure I'm right at the noon hour. I don't know if I'm even gone longer. But I want to just take a moment of time to talk to you today. I want to give a couple of invitations very, very quickly this morning that I believe are very important, very, very important. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I don't believe I've missed a moment. I don't believe that, that the, the, the moment that was created in worship is lost here at the end of the service. I believe it's just as ripe right now as it was previously. But it's different. It's different. First of all, if you're here today, it would be wrong for me to not to talk to you if you don't know Christ as your Savior. And I want to just ask you today, if you would do an inventory check. The Apostle Paul said to examine yourself whether or not you're in the faith. Can you take just a moment to look inwardly? Are you really in the faith? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you confident that your sins are forgiven today? If you're not, I want to pray with you. That's very important today that we do so. It's perhaps the most important thing that we do to give you that opportunity to make Christ as the Lord of your life. If, there, if you're here today, you're among us, and you say, Pastor, I'm searching my heart right now, and I'm just going to be honest. I don't have the confidence that if I were to stand before God right now, I would be welcomed in His eternal kingdom. If that's you, raise your hand up, because I'm going to have prayer with you here today in the name of Jesus. If there's anyone, I'm just looking around. Nobody's looking. It's just me and you. Secondly, number two today, number two. How many of you here today would be honest and say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. I need to become established in my faith. I, I need to mature. I, I need to grow. I, I'm, I'm on the shallow end of the pool. Come on. And I need, this is my, I, I recognize it. I don't feel condemned, but I do feel inspired. I've been shown a process that if I put that process in place, then it's going to produce a growth in my life. I saw some hands go up in the back, hands right there, other hands. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's people being honest. Thank you, young adults. 
uh, as well, raising their hand. Anybody else today? Just being honest. Say, I just need it. I'm being honest today. I need that in my life. How many of you believe that those things, those three things that I shared with you will work in your life if you'll work them? Come on, amen. Lastly today, here it is real quickly. I started with coming under pastoral, apostolic, authority, anointing. I made a statement, and I want to bring it up right now. There are some here today that have never had hands laid on you. You never know what it's like to just have somebody pray for you. Come by and just say, you know what, I'm here to pray for you, to pray that God will work in you, that we have an anointing upon our life. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, even if I have had hands laid on me, I just feel the need for it today to confirm me in my faith and strengthen me in my faith, then, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you, Jojo and Shane, would y'all join your collective agreement and anointings and others as well and just pray for me today? Be brief, be quickly today, but we want to do it because it's our way of using our gift to strengthen you. God forbid that we don't do that. Is there anybody here today who would slip their hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. I just need a pastor, somebody to just lay their hand on me. and pray.